And we've just got to realize that if we're making disciples, that efficiency is not more important than relationship. So we need to make decisions that elevate relationship above, you know, how many donations we get in. But we're really going to maximize the amount of people we can mobilize into the process because if we put more people in, then there's the task can be spread more broadly and we have more opportunities for conversation. Welcome to the CDM Podcast, a production of Contagious Disciple Making. We exist to catalyze movement through coaching, community, and communication. We created this podcast to help everyday Christians become world-changing disciple makers. Hello, this is the CDM Podcast. I'm Paul Watson, and this is Rebecca Ewing. And today we're going to talk about turning volunteer opportunities into disciple-making opportunities. Now, you guys, uh, just to make it clear as to what we're talking about when we talk about volunteering, you know, we're talking about like going down and spending an afternoon at the soup kitchen. We're talking about maybe volunteering with Habitat for Humanity going to a resale shop and perhaps helping sell used clothing for in order to be able to fund local ministries. Lots of different opportunities out there to be involved in volunteering. But they're, whether they're inside the church or whether they're outside the church, but not so many people know how to take those opportunities and turn them into opportunities for making disciples. You know, I've been inside of uh, the trying to help Christians know how to be able to volunteer, know how to be able to reach out to their communities. There's a lot of great, uh, you know, I don't know if you would call it charities, nonprofits, and, and things out there. Also, there's some good church programs that do a lot of good work. So understand, I'm not trying to, you know, we're not going to try to discount everybody, everything that everybody's ever done. But I can tell you that there are some common um, things that are happening amongst pro- nonprofits and also Christian ministries, even that really are make it to where it's not as effective as it could be, and that's something here at Contagious Disciple Making we're really concerned about is making sure that we're as effective as we possibly can be. That's right. That's right. And one of those things is that in many volunteering opportunities, there is no time for conversation. It's really, let's get as many people through the line as possible. Let's get the task in front of us done and as efficiently as possible. And they don't leave much time for the volunteers to either talk to one another or to talk to the people they're serving. And if you're looking at building relationships that result in you being able to read the Bible with someone and start making disciples, that's going to be really hard yeah, to do if you don't have any time. And really that part of the, the reason why this is an issue is because a lot of times the idea of building relationships with the people that are being served is a is either something that is not even thought of at all or it's a second thought. Like it's an afterthought. And so because all the focus is just on meeting the need. And um, and the thing is, it's like I said, is I'm trying to help people and volunteer opportunities be able to make relationships with people. There's oftentimes because they're so busy doing the thing, building the house, uh, you know, handing out the food, you know, and cleaning up that they're not able to even have conversations with people. So the other thing is you usually find these particular activities done by a few people to many. So there's there the the volunteers are not only overworked 
it just simply isn't practical to try to say that these few volunteers are going to develop relationships with all these people that are that they're trying to serve. And so instead of us a lot of times going and thinking, okay, how can we multiply our volunteers? How can we multiply our leadership? We mainly think, how can we make this even more efficient so that this one person or these few people can serve a bunch of people this particular need? And which, of course, only exacerbates the original issue at the first time, which is we don't get to have conversations with the people that we're, we're serving. Exactly. Another another one of the issues that comes up is that uh, that volunteering is a stopgap rather than being holistic. So what we mean by that is it doesn't actually treat the whole issue. Um, it actually doesn't address the needs of an entire group of people. Um, that a lot of times that they are more donation based meeting physical needs without creating and in any way meeting the relational spiritual needs. And so they just are a band-aid on a wound that is bleeding out and not really doing it, causing any lasting change. For example, I worked down at the homeless shelter and recovery center in Portland for years. Uh, I ran the place. And we would see the same homeless people come in day after day after day after mm-hmm. day after day, mm-hmm. no matter how many times we try to help them to change their circumstances or change their situation, they were just content with coming for a meal and that's all they wanted. It wasn't actually taking care of the deeper need, which is why they were homeless in the first place. Right. So like for another, for instance, is when we give backpacks to children who are going to go back to school. Sure, kids need school supplies, and that's really great, and I'm glad we're giving out some school supplies to people in need. But why don't we do look at the whole issue? Why do they even need someone to give them school supplies? And what kind of a home life are they coming cu- coming from? You know, what are their other needs? Who are they? You know, so are we actually trying to meet the entire needs, not just the individual children, but their entire community, and actually trying to reach out to them, get to know them, and then hopefully also be able to disciple them and to know Jesus. This is all stuff that is not really thought of as a how do we all work together or how do we even design our particular outreach charity volunteer opportunity to be able to to hone in on that. It's mainly, again, here's your backpack go ahead, or here's your food, go on ahead, and we're not thinking about these things. And so it really is needful for us if we're wanting to expand the kingdom of God, if we're wanting to make disciples who make disciples of all these peoples using these opportunities, we're going to have to rethink how we set them up in the, fir- in the first place. Yeah, and that means we're going to have to ask ourselves the the conversation and the the relationship questions. And so that comes down to are we in a position where we're seeing the same people day after day or week after week and so that number 2 we can have conversations with them because if you're not doing those things, if you're not seeing the same people and if you're not able to have conversations, then you're not going to be able to get to relationship and you're not going to be able to really cause any lasting change in that individual's life. And it's going to take intentionality with how you set up what you do in order to create those pockets of time and ability 
to see the same people, to have the conversation so that people can. You know, I, I think, Paula, one time we, we um, interviewed someone who had a ministry, their church actually had a ministry to a building full of shut-ins. Like it was a, a building that had, you know, a, a kind of a uh, assisted living kind of idea. And so they said they appointed essentially what they called a pastor, quote-unquote, per floor. And it was their their responsibility to take care of the people on the floor. And of course, I'm sure they had more than one. I'm sure they had like two or three people so that they can, you know, trade off and stuff like that or somebody gets sick. But the idea is that the consistent people took ownership of a reasonable amount of people and they would concede them week in, week out and able to have those conversations. And that's so much. Now that took intentionality. But it's a simple fix to be able to see and develop relationships with the with the people there over time. Well, one of the things I used to do at the homeless shelter is that if I went down to have, instead of taking lunch in my office while working, I just took my lunch and went downstairs and sat with the men who were in our recovery program. That gave me a chance to hear more of their story. It gave me a chance to build relationship with them. And that gave uh, me a chance to build that rapport necessary to lead to any kind of spiritual or discovery question. And I still have guys who, from that recovery program, who find me on Facebook and say, you know, you were the breath of fresh air. You were the order in the middle of the chaos I was experience, experiencing at that time in my life. Right, and so that, that, again, we'll talk even more about that in just a minute, but the second one, so far as creating the conversation and relationship pockets. But the next thing is we need to meet the entire family or social people group and not just try to single out individuals that we're going to contact. So a good example of this, for instance, would be the Angel Tree Project. So once again, I'm not trying to say that these these are bad charities, but let's try to look at them and say, how could they be even more effective? At one time, I uh, did a angel, angel tree project with a particular church, and we wanted to take it a step farther. So in other words, the so normally, you would just basically buy presents, give it to somebody, and they go and they just distribute it into the hands of the children, and off you go. Well... What about not only that child, but the parents or, or parent, obviously, because the other one's in, incarcerated, and or their type of family unit, their local social unit. Again, these are hurting people that have needs other than the $20 toy that you bought for them at Walmart. And so you know, what we did is we actually created a uh, basically a Christmas uh, food get-together where we got to be able to meet with the parents and the kids and have fun with them and show love to them. And I'm not trying to say this is penultimate. I'd like to be able to get even better at this kind of concept. But the idea is is that we were trying to meet the entire family and see it as an entire family need and not just a child need. And that's so important when we're making disciples because a lot of times we'll try to we'll disciple that individual, but then it's really difficult for the men to make a change and to follow Jesus in a family that uh, may be um, apathetic at best and even hostile at at worst. We would see this happen in the in the recovery center as well. We would work to get an addict out of his addiction and back into a life of recovery. And then he would go and find a girlfriend and then the girlfriend would drink an occasional beer 
or drink in the evenings when she came home from work. And we knew that within a few months that it was just creating a situation where he wasn't going to be able to maintain his sobriety. Whereas if we could have worked with the girlfriend and him or the family and the addict, then we could have created an environment that mutually supported one another through this process and that would have increased the likelihood of him being able to be clean and sober afterwards. Well, not to mention, ultimately, all of our efforts in discipling people is so is works best when you can disciple whole families, make it whole social groups, because those multiply so much uh, better than other words. And of course, that's a typical DMM quality. Yeah, I think that one of the other things that we do in this is that we we elevate efficiency so high. And I remember this when I ran everything. Donors would look at what we were doing and saying, are we getting the most amount of food for the least amount of money? Are we maximizing the time that volunteers are there and getting the most things done because we have limited numbers of volunteers and limit, so many tasks to finish during the day that it was would be impossible. And so we would focus on efficiency, 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 and we We've just got to realize that if we're making disciples, that efficiency is not more important than relationship. So we need to make decisions that elevate relationship above, you know, how many donations we get in, elevate donation or elevate relationships above how many backpacks we can distribute or how many nails we can hammer. And so it's really important. And if we do that, we're going to focusing on, on multiplying the leaders and the volunteers and not just donations. You need donations, but we're really gonna maximize the amount of people we can mobilize into the process because if we put more people in, then there's the task can be spread more broadly and we have more opportunities for conversation. And because of that, a lot of times we create a bottleneck with the people that are actually serving the, the needy. So like, like uh, I was saying earlier with Angel Tree, most of the time, you take all these gifts and you put it into one or two people's hands and they have to have the task of handing it out to the 60 families or however many families that was was done or whatever. How can these two people have relationships with 60 families? That just doesn't work. And so we have to make decisions that are specifically allowed in one of the big ways is to have volunteers to where there's a lower there's a there's a better ratio of volunteer to needy so that you can be able to have those relationships. And I think that the other thing that we can do there too is to make sure that we're making decisions and creating opportunities for um, the people that we're working with or the people who are volunteering to spend more time with the needy as well. So for example, we would actually encourage the people who are feeding in the line to go out and to take trays out to the table to sit down with the homeless population and then gave them questions that they could ask them like you know what are you thankful for today and you know what has stressed you out uh today and what are some of the things you're hearing on the street and how do they make you feel and that a lot of people would say well that's not efficient you know you're you're giving the volunteer food when you should be spending that money on feeding the needy. But for us, it was more important that we take that little bit of money, we're talking dollars, few dollars, in order to put the volunteer at the table to treat the homeless person like a person. Because if they could remember they're a person, then they remember they have a soul. If they remember they have a soul, then they know that they need a savior. And then we have the chance to disciple them into a relationship with Christ. Exactly. And so you have to make those decisions that intentionally do so. And sometimes it may go completely against what we 
value, like I said, we value so much efficiency and invention and smartness that sometimes it goes directly against that in order to be able to do that. In fact, Paul, I remember your father talking about a story back when the tsunami was happening in in India. Why don't you tell us that story? Oh my goodness, this is one of my all-time favorite stories. So (laughs) one of the problems with the tsunami is that it salted a lot of the wells. And so villages in India that were on the coast did not have a source for clean water. So we went into the, we decided to create a water utility service. We'd go into those villages, drop a water tank in the middle of the village, and then we would have a water tanker truck come by periodically and fill up that tank in the middle of the village and then move on to the next one. And that was great. And man, when these guys made these trucks, they made a huge pipe on the back of this truck that could empty the entire truck in just 45 minutes. Yeah. My dad went and was inspecting the trucks and he said, guys, you did a great job. I just have one <laughs> problem. And they're like, what? He says, I want you to take that big old pipe off the back of the truck and I want you to replace it with a pipe that a softball could fit in. He's like, well, if we do that, it'll take four hours for the truck to empty. And my dad was like, exactly, because we're going to put disciple makers into the truck to drive the truck. They're going to drive to the local village and start to empty it. And in that time, they're going to have to have conversations with the villagers, coffee with the villagers. The villagers will invite them over for dinner. And then through that, they will be able to plant churches. And guess what? It worked. They were able to make make the relationships, talk about Jesus, swap Mm -hmm. stories, and then and then move on to the next to the next village. And because they were on a circuit, they would come back periodically into the same village and be able to follow up again and again and again. So it was a whole opportunity designed to help us make relationships, to help us plant churches, but it was incredibly inefficient. Well, you know, that's that actually shows that the other decision that you made was just to have the same driver to be, you know, to go and make the same circuit over time. So absolutely. And, and that's what we're talking about, you know, putting, elevating the relationship above the efficiency. Now, here's a different look at this. So, so sometimes whom you're serving is not the disciple-making opportunity. It's who whom you're who you're serving with so the idea is is that you know some particular volunteer opportunities you're not able to change it particularly if it's a secular one you're not able to change how it's done maybe even you're definitely not allowed to talk to the people at all like you're just not allowed to this would be the case like if you're working with children that's a big one is you're not allowed a lot of times to speak directly with the children or like I, you know, just trying to throw something at maybe like Habitat for Humanity, where you're going out and you're building houses and things like that. You may not have the people that you're serving there, and so all you have is the crew that you're with that you're really spending time talking with. But the thing is, is that it's okay because if the people that you're working alongside with are people that don't know Jesus, that could be a perfect opportunity for you to be able to talk, to have those conversations and talk with them. So as you're building this house for Habitat and Humanity, you can be talking with other people that are on the team and developing those relationships because there's nothing more bonding than trying to do a hard project together. And so this is another uh, uh, illustration of this is I play the piano at a hospital and um, right near the... Uh, the um, the critical unit 
and uh, and and everything. And I and I my hope is that my music will be able to be a calming presence. But ultimately, I know since there is no guarantee that I will be seeing these people over time at all, or that I'll ever be able to talk to them again, that actually the people that I am, you know, thinking that my ministry is is mainly to is actually the staff. The people that work at the desks, the people that are out in the lobby, maybe even the security person that's standing there. You know, those are the people that I perceive that my piano playing is just the entrance and that my real ministry starts afterwards when I hang out with the staff and I talk to them afterwards. And so because and now I see those people every time. So just look to see who are the real people that you could be ministering to through that volunteer situation. Yeah, and the whole purpose of this is if we ha- if we are having volunteer activities where we can have, you know, the opportunity to build relationships, to have casual, meaningful, spiritual and discovery conversations, then that creates an opportunity for us to integrate de- uh, discovery Bible study into the whole process which begins the discipling the discipling process so you know it may be that you're not having it there while you're swinging the hammer but you might look at the guy after you're done and say hey you know i really enjoyed getting to hear your story together today let's go let's go have it you know grab a coffee let's talk about what we've been doing and everything and that creates more opportunities for more relationship and eventually over time an invitation to read the bible together and really, you could substitute the DBS uh, system with perhaps other preaching-like or gospel presentation-like ways that your volunteer opportunity was already trying to do. So instead of just saying, well, let's tell you the three circles or the Romans road in order to do that, well, inviting them to a discovery Bible process. Right. That was actually one of the big changes we made at the homeless shelter was instead of making them listen to a sermon before they ended up going to sleep at night, we actually canceled that. A lot of churches got pretty upset with us, but then we showed them that they could bring in their volunteers and sit down with the homeless men uh, before they were able to sleep there at night in our shelter and actually read the Bible with them. And it turned out to be so much more rewarding than sitting up there and preaching to a bunch of people that didn't really care. And then when you sat down at the table with them and started to ask them questions and ask their opinion, they got to interact with scripture. Oh man, we saw people crying at what they were reading in the word. In fact, I'll never forget one time a man, he started, one of homeless men just started crying when a volunteer asked him, you know, what are you thankful for today? And, and asked his opinion on the scripture. And he just looked at him and said, do you realize no one ever asked me for my opinion mm-hmm. on anything. Mm-hmm. And if we hadn't created the opportunity for relationship at the risk of making other people angry so that we can get to discovery Bible studies, then that homeless man would have never felt like a person. You've been listening to the CDM podcast. I'm Paul Watson. This is Rebecca Ewing. This is the end of the first section, our free content. In order to be able to to access our next session, then you're going to need to uh, get a $5 a month subscription. We would love for you to do that. It supports us. It allows us to continue making this podcast. Also, if you like this podcast, then we would encourage you to like it, share it, give it a five-star rating and a review on whatever podcasting platform you use use. Now, Rebecca, what is the next section that is coming up that we're about to talk about? The importance of the needs of the community DBS question. Ooh, that's a big one. A lot of people skip this one and they don't know why it's Mm -hmm. so important. And so we're going to unpack that for you in our next session coming up. 
Thanks for listening to the CDM Podcast. To hear part two, become a supporter on our Patreon page. You can find the link in the description. For coaching or other resources, connect with us at ContagiousDiscipleMaking.com.